Good morning, church. Is it not a beautiful day out there? I really just wanted to get on my motorcycle and just go riding and skip church and everything, but I didn't. I'm here. Some of y'all listening, uh, <clears throat> live stream may have already done that. Uh, that's the danger of, you know, having that kind of a thing available all the time. So, uh, but we are glad that uh, everyone is here and uh, we just uh, have been, had a great study through the book of Acts and uh, we're going to be ra- uh, wrapping that up here in the next couple of weeks and then uh, making plans to dive in eventually to the book of Romans which is going to be a great study. Uh, and so uh, just uh, just appreciate so much your desire to be here, uh, not only in the assembly, but uh, our Bible class still just keeps building, and uh, not only classes here physically, but also our live stream Bible classes. I think there's a special one now starting on Tuesday. Isn't that right, Dave? Tuesday nights, I think Scott Caldwell's doing. That'll be a great success. Uh, I know already has been. There'll be others being taught. So there's plenty of opportunity to get the word. Uh, so uh, turn, take your Bibles, by the way, uh, and turn to Acts chapter 15. And uh, we're going to be looking at a little bit of that. Griffith Barner. Griffith, where are you at? Come on up. My scripture reader for today. Now... Griffith, you uh, you fixing to graduate, right? I am. And so, what are you going to do after graduation? I'm going to Abilene. Abilene college. Christian University. Yes, sir. Uh, Lindy, did you hear that? Abilene Christian. That's Lindy's. Lindy's a grad, <laughs> if you can't tell. And uh, so, uh, uh, that's great. Uh, excited for you to do that. I I spent a little time out there myself, and so uh, uh, if you like a lot of wind and nothing to break it, you'll love Abilene. Uh, but uh, also, let's see, you uh, uh, you work at Chick-fil-A? I do. Been homeschooled? I am. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Very sharp young man, and I'm, uh, uh, we're excited about what God's going to do for you, you and through you in the kingdom. And thank you for uh, sharing our verse today, if you don't mind, please. All right, I got two. The first one's going to be Acts 15:7. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And the second one is going to be Acts 15:11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it very, very much. I'm sure Abilene uh, probably hadn't changed a whole lot. It was uh, I was only there in 1979. Uh, there's probably been a few new buildings built and a few of those kinds of things since then, right? Um, we've dealt with Acts chapter 17. Oh, by the way, before, before we get into the text, uh, you understand the pews are leaving us after today's service, and they'll be getting a clearing out of this room. And so if you want one, take it. If you want 40, take them. Some worker somewhere that's fixing to have to move them all will be grateful to you. Uh, but uh, we will be getting rid of the I, I was here the first Sunday these pews were put in and set on them. And I'm here the last Sunday uh, set on these pews that, they, that they'll be in here. Uh, my dream is to be here the first Sunday the chairs are put in. 
And depending on the quality of chair and the quality of my life, I'd like to think that I could make it till they ended too. Uh, but uh, but thank you so much for uh, uh, people buying your own chair and uh, getting us situated where we can kind of improve these. Have we have got our money's worth out of these? And uh, I appreciate your patience. If you've ever sat on one and heard it pop and see pieces of wood roll down the aisle, th- you know, thank you for not you know uh, getting too irate about that. So we appreciate your patience on that. Uh, in Easter, we dealt with uh, Acts 17, Paul going in to an Easterless community uh, and talking about the resurrection. But I wanted to back up a little bit. Before that happened in Acts 17, when Paul's on his journeys, they're teaching people the gospel. Of course, Peter's been teaching the Gentiles the gospel. They run into a problem. Now, can you imagine that a church would have a problem? Conflict over different people who come in. And all of a sudden, folks come in from different backgrounds and different situations, and they run into conflict. Uh, I don't know if you uh, have been raised at the same place and gone to the same church all your life or whatever, but if you've, had, if you've moved around and deep people do church different where you visit, and you first walk in and you say, I can't believe how they do that wrong, you know, uh, that type of thing, right? Because typically we think... That whatever we've been doing the longest is the rightest. Got it? I just made that word up, by the way. But whatever we have a history of doing, that's what's right. That's kind of what we think. Well, so you've got some Gentiles all of a sudden being converted. And that man, they have a whole host of different background than the Jewish background, right? The Jews coming out of that the Israel background, the the, uh, the sacrifice, the old law, Moses, the prophets, and all those things, which, by the way, should have led them to Jesus and accept who he was, but they struggled with that. So their conversion to Christ and Christianity out of that, they bring a lot of extra religious baggage, so to speak, with them. They don't quite know what to do with some of it. The Gentiles are converted. They don't have that baggage. They're like, let's roll, you know. And so all of a sudden they're together trying to fellowship, meet together. Guess what? When you try the Gentile and Jew try to eat together, I mean, the Jewish people aren't excited about the hog barbecue you got lined up, right? Because they've been under some strict dietary laws about what to eat. And all of a sudden you can't even fellowship together even though you're Christian. So they start running into this kind of thing. So Paul has just been traveling. He's come back to Antioch. And at the end of 14, if you'll follow with me, he says in verse 26, From Matea they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Key sentence. The committed to the grace of God. Committed to the grace of God. Say that with me. Committed to the grace of God. One more time. Committed to the grace of God. Okay? All right, so on arriving, they gather the church together. I report all that God's been doing, uh, doing through them and how he's opened up the doors to the Gentiles. And they stay there a long time with the disciples. So there, they've converted a lot of people, Jew, Gentile, uh, and they're all together in a family, and they're at Antioch. Now, here we go. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, wait a minute. I thought all this salvation was in the name of Jesus. I thought the gospel is what saves you. 
Now you're telling me I got to do something else? And what you're, what you're telling me I got to do? I ain't very excited about it. You're going to make the Gentiles be circumcised in order to consider them Christians or they're not saved? Okay, that's the teaching they have. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, as it should. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church uh, sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they told how the Gentiles had been converted, the news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So now they're going to add to Christianity everything that they've been burdened with in Judaism. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought the song we sung was amazing. My chains are gone. They're hooking up extra chains. And so they got this question. And so they send a group to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and the elders and leadership there. What are we going to do with this thing? We got this conflict going on. What do we do with it? The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter, here's old Peter. So what you're going to do, you're going to hear, you're going to see grace defended. First by Peter, then by Barnabas and Paul, and then by James. Okay, you've got three kind of defenses that are made here for grace. The title of this, by the way, is Saving Grace. I'm not, th- I'm not talking about the fact that we're saved by grace. I'm talking about the leaders saving grace from those that want to... Uh, chained it down with a bunch of other stuff. Rescue it from the legalists. All right. Peter got up and he addresses them. Brothers, you know some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, uh, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers uh, have been able to bear? No. Here's a verse. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So that's Peter's defense is this. Guys, I'm an apostle. I went down, remember, I went down to Cornelius. I got the vision from God. I'm the one that preached the first gospel sermon. That matter of fact, we had that great miracle of all the different languages that said the gospel is going to go to all nations. What Jesus told us to do, matter of fact, right? Make disciples of every ethnic group, every nation, going all the world with it. He said, I'm a part, I, I, helped, I was there, we had that going on. So he gives basically his testimony of the grace going to the Gentiles. And don't be adding things that are a burden to them. So now you get Barnabas and Paul. 
The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs, wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So they give their testimony. Look, we've been traveling, we've been converting people with the gospel, and God's been doing all kinds of great things through this. Then you got this third guy speaks up, James. So when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God has first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles the people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, and he goes to the Bible. Peter goes to what they recognize as the beginning of the church and his own personal testimony as an apostle. Barnabas and Paul go to what they've seen God do as they converted Gentiles and saw them brought in, and they give their testimony. Now, James comes in, and he's going to follow up the argument by saying, look, let's look at the Bible, your Old Testament, because it tells you that God always planned to save people outside of the Jewish nation, the Gentiles. And he wrote this back in Amos, and he wrote it back in Isaiah. And don't you understand your Bible? By the way, it's always good when you get a conflict, just turn to the Bible. I love that. You know, one of the things I love about our elders meetings when we run into something and, and, and someone comes in and we have a discussion about something, trying to figure out how to make a decision. I, I, I love the fact it never fails that uh, Phil Robertson always opens up his Bible Am I right of their elders? He opens up his Bible, and we go right there, and we start with the Word of God. Instead of our own preferences, our own desires, our own likes, let's go see what the Word says. Because I grew up in a, in a group that said, whatever is taught in the Bible, that's what we want to follow. Which, by the way, I love the fact that I had that seed planted in me. Matter of fact, my heart was kind of moved in, in, in a sad but joyful way this weekend. I was on my way back from Arkansas and uh, got a message that the guy that uh, preached where I grew up that had a big influence on my family, G.W. Allison, passed away yesterday. And I remember G.W.'s kind spirit, and I remember him working so hard being best friends with my dad. Over the long haul, he planted the seed so the years down the road, I had the benefit of, of baptizing my father when he was 64. And I told that story the other day, and I realized, 64, that's what I am now. I said, what happened? I thought my dad was old when I converted him. Well, he really wasn't that old. But you know what? G.W., he was at a basketball tournament. Him and my dad loved sports, and they loved going together and watching ball games. And he called me one night, and he said, Mike, I asked your dad when he was going to obey the gospel. And he told me, he said, I think I'm going to do it next time Mikey comes home. So GW calls me and tells me that. And guess what? Amazingly, I was free to go home. <laughs> he planted that seed years ago. I love the fact that I grew up in a place that says follow the Bible and had men like him that challenged me to do so. But that also challenges me to challenge my own tradition and my own history. And that's where these guys end up. So James, he takes them to the Bible, quotes Amos, 
And in verse 19 he says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled animals, and from blood. Why? Why did he pick those? Because look at the next verse. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Because that's the culture that they got converted in within that Jewish background. And so they knew that this was going to be a problem. Jewish people is going to have difficult letting go of the old law and all of its all of its restraints on how they live. Now, those some of those can become very cultural. Some can become the uh, uh, they were biblical at one time, but it's not. Uh, obviously, Peter got the vision right. Arise, kill and eat. All this food's available. You're free to have it now. These food laws have changed. There is no theocratic nation anymore. See. The gospel is plucking out the clean hearts that want to serve God out of Israel as well as out of the Gentiles, forming a new Israel, a new people of God called the church. And so when you do that, people run into conflict and they want to bring their old stuff into the church and it runs into all kinds of problems. Now, I love, I love this because they make it clear, first of all, you are saved by grace. You cannot add anything to being saved. And we've done that before. Because we've said, you don't worship the way I think it says you're lost. You don't take communion the way I say, think it, the Bible says you're lost. You don't do church service the way I think it ought to be done in the Bible. You're lost. And it breaks my heart to think that I would add add a burden to people's life that God did not add. What's worse in some cases is that Satan makes us believe the lie and you add it to your own heart. The biggest, biggest distance in terms of accepting grace is from here to here. Because you read about your freedom and grace and yet because something's been logged in your mind year after year after year that if you don't do this, you're not, you're not saved. It's so hard. To break those chains and burdens. And so people walked around without any assurance of salvation. Now I'm not saying people are lost because they're unassured. I'm I'm, I'm not saying they won't go to heaven. I'm just saying they don't enjoy the trip very much. Because there's a lot of guilt and shame and wrestling and struggling for so much. When Jesus died to free you not only from sin, but he died to free us from legalism. The idea that somehow or another I can do enough to be right with God. And I can't. And Paul made it very clear that we need to be committed to the grace of God. 
for the work that God completes. So, the elders and apostles do the right thing in this conflict. One, they handle, they rescue grace out of the hands of the legalists, the Judaizing teachers that wanted to add circumcision, or they rescue grace out of their hands. But then they display grace on the other side by asking the Gentiles to make some compromises in what they did culturally so they could have unity within the body. I love it. Grace is a beautiful picture of unity. Look what the elders do. Verse 22. The apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose from their own men and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, and two of the men were leaders among the brothers. And with them they sent the following letter. So they write them a letter. How long has it been since you did a handwritten letter to anybody? You know, uh, they write them a letter. And they send it by people that they're confident that they can believe it's credible folks that are bringing this letter so they'll know some credibility comes with it. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Now look, it's it's this area in history for a purpose because it's in their history and their time that they're locked in with these Christians that come out of out of the uh, out of Israel and out of, Ju- out of the Jewish background, and remember the synagogues are going on. Moses has been taught, and so it's a historical context that exists. He's not writing a one-time thing forever in the Bible for all of us, but there's some principles here to look at. We've heard that uh, that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever had your mind disturbed and troubled by what someone else said about your Christianity? I love these elders and apostles here because they they get it. They understand that some brothers and sisters, all of a sudden, they're excited this Christianity thing. Man, I'm, I'm good. All of a sudden, now they're troubled. Their minds are troubled. I've laid awake at night trying to figure out how to solve troubles in the church. And I've met with people and I see their minds troubled and I hate it. And I wish I could just say the magic words and their troubles would go away. Some of you had those sleepless nights. Someone's confronted you. Someone's thrown you into confusion about some teaching within the Bible. And now all of a sudden your mind is disturbed and troubled. Look, anybody that misrepresents the grace of God creates troubled minds. Don't you ever doubt it. Matter of fact, you know the gospel. And anybody that comes to you and makes you doubt your salvation with anything else they're adding to it, let me tell you something. Get away from them because all they're fixing to do is trouble your mind. I'm just telling you this as a warning. Stay away from false teachers who do not understand the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel and the grace of God, while hollering the whole time, i got grace better than you. I'm just telling you, stay away from them. They will trouble and disturb your mind. And that's what was happening here. Now look what this is. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Look, they had that relationship, right? 
You can you, people you trust, people you can kind of conf, take confidence in. You need those people in your life that are your teachers, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we're writing. We're surrounding this written letter with credible people. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You ought to abstain from food, sacrifice idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, from sexual morality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Not you will be saved by avoiding these things. You'll do well to avoid these things. So they write this letter to help solve a conflict. Got it? Verse 30. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. I like, notice the word encouraging here. They get encouraged from it. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much encourage and said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. So these guys go carry the letter, and then as a result, they're speaking and they're giving strength and courage to the brothers. People who have been disturbed and upset in their mind about their own salvation and wondering what to do because they're running into conflicts, they need good men around them to strengthen and encourage them and help them know you're on the right track. It's okay. Don't you let people, as Paul said, throw you into confusion. So they're there encouraging people. After spending some time there, they, went, they were sent off with the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Uh, this word remained. Let me, I, I, let me pick something out here. Everybody, everybody with me? Gotcha. Right here. It's just a simple little word. Most versions it will say stay. They remained or they stayed there. This is the word diatribo out of the Greek. And here's what it means. It means, comes from a word that means to rub through. Okay, here's the idea. It's to remain in one place long enough with activity to leave a mark or to make an impression. You ever have something that uh, uh, that rubbed a certain spot for a long period of time and it rubbed through? Got it? It left its mark. It made an impression there. That's the word here. They they didn't just hang around there and do nothing. They remained. They stayed there long enough that they, with their teaching, they left an impression. They rubbed through. They marked with their teaching left their mark of their teaching on the brothers and sisters there. In the simplest way, we would just say that's discipleship. Have you ever had somebody that's been a long time spiritual influence in your life? Now, Tommy Evans has been a long time spiritual influence in my life. 
And I tell you what, he's rubbed me the wrong way. No, he didn't rub me the wrong way. But he spent enough time with me that his spirit and his grace and his love for people has rubbed through. Because, see, he would be more patient in dealing with people and giving them grace than I would because I'm like, look, I told him what the truth was. Let's move on, you know. I'm not too patient. I wasn't too patient. I'm still not a lot, but I'm working on that. Thank you, Tommy. But you got somebody in your life over a long haul, and they rub a spot. They leave a mark on you. Isn't that good? That's what Paul and Barnabas, they stayed with the brothers And they kept teaching and preaching with other people too to a point that they left an impression. And you know what the impression was they left because it's the same one they left from the very first verse we read where it said they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that had now been completed. So what do you think their emphasis was? What mark did they leave? The grace of God. We do not let people steal from us the grace of God by adding burdens on of salvation that do not belong there. At the same time, we display grace with people that we have different backgrounds with and do things differently, and we figure out how to do that and can still fellowship. Hey, Gentiles, here's how you can eat with your Jewish brothers and sisters who are still all worried about their uh, food background. Uh, just abstain from eating those things when you're with those guys. Just you know, give that up. Grace gives up things for other people. Grace cares for other folks. Now, you either have two sides. On one, one side, if you have... You know, Jesus came full of grace and truth. If you have truth without grace, you have ends up with legalism. If you have grace without truth, it ends up with license that everything's just okay. You're free to do anything you want to. Legalist eventually says, I'm God. I'll make the judgment who's in and out. Don't you love it when people can tell you who's in and out of the kingdom? I believe I'll leave that up to God. What do you think? And then the license to say, hey, we got the freedom. When someone demands their freedom, there's usually... An idea of satisfying self, not the will of God. But when you won't care about other people, you'll give up your freedom. Sometimes you don't have the right to do what you have the right to do. Stick that one in your home box. Okay? Sometimes we don't have the right to do what we have the right to do. But we will not give in to people who add works to salvation that somehow or another you have to do this plus the blood of Jesus to be saved we are saved by what? grace believe it Believe it. My problem was when I became a Christian, I didn't understand much grace, is I didn't really believe it. And it took me a while. I intellectually knew it, but it took a long time from it, from it going to the Bible, to my head, to my heart. I want you to go home and be able to say with full confidence, I know I am saved. Not because you did everything right in the service. 
Not because you did anything. I know I'm saved because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm saved because of the grace of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. And His grace, Paul says, is more than enough. His mercies are new every morning. Grace was threatened. Grace was defended. Grace was practiced. And grace was delivered. And it's still being delivered today. If you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, if you believe the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins, you trust in His grace, you believe in Him, His grace will be enough. That's why when Peter in Acts 2, they said, what do we do when their hearts are pricked? He said, repent and be baptized. That's not the gospel. That's my response to the grace of God. That's my experience of the grace of God. I get to reenact what Jesus did for me. That's, that's an experience of grace. That's God in action, not me. I'm, baptism is not a work I do. Baptism is just me calling on the Lord, thanking Him for His grace. And we're only saved by the grace of God. It's not about baptizing people right. I'll never forget the first kid I baptized. I was scared, and he was too. And I got that tall teenager, red-headed boy, I'll never forget him, up in uh, <clears throat> Omaha, Nebraska. I was on a campaign, and uh, uh, Larry, you remember L.C. Lewis? L.C. taught me how to teach somebody the gospel. We were up there on a campaign, and I taught this guy, and I was scared. And he was, and I was, I don't know, I was 18 or something. He was 17 or whatever. But I, you know, so I get him in the baptistry, and I get everything ready, and I say whatever I think you're supposed to say, because nobody's really told me the formula. Which, by the way, there's not one. In case you're looking for that verse. And so I said what I was supposed to say, and I baptized. Well, he was scared of the water. So when I baptized him, he reached out and grabbed the glass front. Well, there are just people standing up around like we do here sometimes. The preacher's there. It was after a Wednesday night service. And I've got him under and his hand's holding to the glass. And the preacher's trying to get his fingers off the glass. And I'm holding him down. He's starting to bubble. And I pull him back up. But hey, I'm raised in the Church of Christ. I know all body parts got to go under at the same time. So I grab his arm this time and I take him to the bottom. <laughs> we raise that kid up scared and saved all at the same time. <laughs> and I look back and I think sometimes, you know, except for the grace of God, right? Because <laughs> we're human and we just mess things up. But I am so thankful that the brothers in Acts 15, this may be one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible, that the brothers here saved grace out of the hands of the legalist, rescued it to make sure it continued to get preached as it should to the world. And for that, 
I am thankful. Father, we love you. Help us, Father, to humbly study your word. Help us to be like old James and go right back to the book. Help us, Father, to be like Barnabas and Paul and preaching and traveling and sharing of the good news of Jesus with those from different countries, different backgrounds. And help us to be like Peter who boldly stood up for the grace of Jesus. Father, may we not be disturbed in our minds by teachers that want to add something other than the simplicity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. May we have a full understanding of the power of your grace through the story of Christ. And may we be committed to that and never be thrown off the path of sharing the good news with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, if you have a need to be baptized today, we'll take care of that. If you have a need to come for prayers, uh, for sickness or whatever need, we're a forever family. We say no one comes alone. So whatever need you have, you can come and express that while together we stand and sing.